Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Cover Band Confidential Podcast, the place for cover band band leaders and musicians to learn some things and up their game. Here in Atlanta, Georgia, it's Adam Johnson. And I'm Dan Ray, coming to you from Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Dan. How's things, my friend? Things are pretty good. It's, you know, we had we took a week off. Um, I was in, uh, I was with my kids doing the whole spring break thing. Yep. And um, it was a lot of fun. It's uh, it's kind of a grind to travel with uh, with young kids like that, but we managed to pull some some fun moments out of uh, out of that experience. And and my seven year old was just thrilled mm. with everything. Cool. And um, I did end up doing that pickup gig that we had talked about a couple weeks back, and that was kind of fun. Just kind of seeing how other bands kind of do what they do and um, not having any sort of ownership or weight on top of me to uh, to do other anything other than just, you know, the job I was there to do, which That's was, good. you know, a nice break. Yeah. Did you see anything you're going to steal? Not really. The one thing that I, I really enjoyed, though, was that they weren't very track heavy. So, you know, our show is very much on rails to a degree. The song starts, the song goes through its process, the song ends. Mm-hmm. It's just what we were used to. And it was just nice to have space. And if I wanted to drag something out, like we did Blister in the Sun, which I hadn't done in a long time. And when they did like the little breakdown where like you're down to like whispering, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I literally... I literally laid on the stage (laughs) and when the band cut out, I laid there completely silent for about 30 seconds, Nice, which doesn't feel like a long time, but like, Oh no, that's, that's forever in the middle of a song. And, um, they just let me, and it was, it was just kind of fun. Just have the, I guess the, the bandwidth to do that. That was cool. Yeah. I do that in, um, long train running. You know, the, the fake ending of Long Train Running. Is it the, the where would you be now? Exactly, exactly. And yeah, where would you be now? And then we kind of think about it. And then, yeah, bang, yeah. Bang, yeah exactly. Bang, 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 I'll, I'll stretch that moment for as long as I can because it's so, you know, everybody knows it's coming and <laughs> it's just, it's a nice moment to have go, you know, 10, 15 seconds. It's, it's fun. Good stuff. So I wanted to talk about something that just kind of popped in my head. And I think it's something that might be maybe not interesting, but useful to uh, the people who listen to this podcast and read the blog and keep up with you and I. And it is the concept of the Man Cave Band. In one of the past episodes, uh, you had mentioned the idea of a cover band as an art project. Right. Basically, that the audience is there to witness something that you are creating and they're, they're along for your ride and it's very much a you presenting to them situation. Yes. And I think that that there's definitely examples of that out there or some of the people that I've run into, um, talking about this kind of stuff. I feel like there's another category that fits into that dialogue. That's where the, the man cave band kind of popped into my head. Uh huh. So the Man Cave Band is the band that is is just there as an extension of a person's personality. It's just a place for them to kind of unwind and and just be themselves. And you know they're they're the ones that you know are going to play the songs that they want to play, and they're going to dress the way they want to dress. They're going to play the places that they can play, and it's all good. They're just there for a good time, you know. Maybe they make a little money. Maybe they, you know, they get a bar tab and and that is what it's all about. And it's awesome. You know, the Man Cave Band is completely a viable project for a lot of people. The thing that I worry about is that, you know, bands consist of multiple members and some people may join a band without realizing that it's a Man Cave Band. (laughs) 
<laughs> and specifically, it's not just a man cave band, but it's somebody else's man cave band. Right. So that's the thing that I just wanted to kind of throw out there. Because sometimes you you join a band and, and you're in you're in a man cave band and you don't know it. And three months down the road, six months down the road, you know, you start to kind of get comfortable and you realize things are done a certain way and you want to do something about it. But um, you've been in this group for six months and you're in a man cave band and the man cave isn't going anywhere. So I just wanted to kind of just throw that out there for uh, for guys who might be in a situation that they feel you know stifled or frustrated about. It is a thing. It is a, you know, the man cave band is real and there's nothing wrong with, with man cave bands. But if you find that you, uh, that you have stumbled into one without knowing it, you may want to go ahead and I don't know, start listening to this podcast and, and read our posts because it might help you come up with some ideas for your own project. Or maybe, um, you can glean just a few things to make the man cave band uh, work a little bit better and maybe increase their, uh, their notoriety or their pay scale. Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> the band I was in prior to the clanky Lincolns was right on the edge of being a man cave band. And, um, and I didn't know it. Yeah. It was the first band I'd been in, in a lot of years. I took a real departure from music for quite some time. And, um, uh, this was the first band I was in in quite a while. And then it, um, it didn't strike me until later that we spent about, maybe almost a year in weekly rehearsal for nothing. Yeah. We had no gigs. We had no plan for gigs. And I I was the one finally who started pushing us to really go out and get public and play out. And um, to his credit, the, the, the founder of that band who, and I should say, you know, I, I'm, this is the band I left to form my current band. And I have no bad feelings about them. I love them like brothers. We're all good friends still. We support each other in the marketplace here. So, I'm, you know, I'm not speaking ill here. But that band had a very particular uh, vision and it was to get good in the practice room, mm -hmm. basically. And it was a lot of fun. I, you know, I learned a lot and I, and I, I grew as a player to, to the degree that you can in the practice room, which is not, you know, a little, you can grow a lot in the practice room. Yeah, um, for sure. Ultimately what had me create my own thing and step out of that was the limitations on the genres that the founder of that band was willing to take on. And, you know, we ended up parting ways and, and, and we now, uh, share some venues. They're playing at a place this weekend that we're playing at in a month. And, um, uh, and then there's some venues that are right for us and not right for them and vice versa. And, uh, we found kind of our separate niches. Um, for a while we were trying to sort of pull each other along. Um, we'd get a gig somewhere and then I'd put a plug in for them and vice versa. And, and at some point we came to the understanding that we're actually different genres of bands that actually doesn't quite work. Yeah. But it took a while for me to really understand that this band was not built around the thing that I'm really in it for. I'm really in it for that moment on stage when everything disappears. Yeah. You know, we all have day jobs and one of us had a night job and it was not something we needed to do to make money or to get by in life. It was all about the expression of our musical interest. And that was an excuse for us not to push it. That was an excuse for us not to try to have the business really happen. And I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. I hear guys saying, oh, I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it for the, the love of it. Yeah. Which is cool. You know, God bless, right? Sure. I think there's a bit of a disconnect because I feel like some people are in it for the connection between the other guys on stage 
Yes. And then there are people who are in it for the connection uh, with the people in the audience. And I think that may separate the the man cave band guys from the rest of us because they're they're there basically to to connect with the guys that they're playing with. It's either a, it's a friendship thing or it's a expression thing. Yeah. Um, and, and I've definitely been in those scenarios and those bands were fun, at least for a period, but they did tend to fizzle out because if you're on stage and you're not interested in what the people are doing that paid money to come see you, uh, they're not going to be as interested in you when you come back. I'll tell you, we played, we played a show. There were three bands on the bill. It was one of the clanky Lincoln's first gigs. And so we, we were the opener and the band that I left that I was not fully left from was still in was the second act. And there was a third band that went on third. And, um, like you do when you're the third band go on third. And the video of me with the clanky Lincoln's is like, I'm energetic and alive and, you know, engaged and, and then something died in me during the break because my physical performance on stage with the other band was dire. I mean, I was just, I was just dead on my feet and, and, and I felt it and I knew mm-hmm. it. And it, it was, that was the show where it was clear to me that that band was uh, no longer where I wanted to put my attention. Yeah. But it was like to have video evidence of that was pretty startling. <laughs> and actually, that's a great transition into what we wanted to talk about this week, which it is, is. It is. Uh, which is basically stagecraft, which is, again, a thing that I don't know if a lot of people think about. You know, for most bands, I would say, it, um, you know, their stagecraft just organically occurs uh, as the show happens. Or doesn't. Or yeah, or doesn't. But with just a, a little bit of consideration, uh, you can take your live show from pretty good to great or from great to amazing or from not so bad to pretty okay. So let's get into it. Okay. I happen to be lucky in that I got a lot of theater training early. I was in theater um, in high school and college. And so I learned a lot about how to use my body on stage. And that's um, not something everybody has. And I don't think it's something anybody is born with. It's also not something people are comfortable talking about. Sometimes. Yeah. The whole idea of most people wouldn't consider what they do using their body on stage or wouldn't put it, wrap those words around it. Yeah. Well, but there you are on stage and you do have a body, don't you? It's true. <laughs> and, uh, I also come from a, from a theater background and, and so you, you just kind of intrinsically pick up things because, you know, if you're doing plays and musicals, uh, you spend a lot of time blocking and, um, realizing that the stage is composed of, uh, certain areas. There's real estate on the stage. Yep. And if you want a stage show to look compelling, uh, you have to block it, um, which means you have to put people in certain places at certain points uh, to draw focus yeah. to them or yeah. away from them. And that really is the founding principle of all of it is it's about directing focus. It's very much like a magician doing misdirection. Similar principle, same principle, really. By the way, my daughter now, who's four, is doing a magic trick that involves taking anything that she has that she can hold in her hand and pulling it out from behind your ear. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. Well, it is. While she does it, she takes her other hand, her free hand, and waggles it around and says, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, and then reaches behind your ear and pulls out whatever that thing is. And um, I will admit, it's pretty darn misdirecting. Yeah. It works pretty well. You know, she's got she's got time to, to hone that. Oh, yeah. That trick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lots of lots of mirror time in her future. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that you want to think about as a performer, uh, as a 
person playing music. I think we've all seen it. You know, even, even a band could be up there just ripping it. And physically, there's just nothing happening. They're standing right where they are. Mm-hmm. I see lead singers kind of pacing around or somebody told them to use their space. So they're like walking. Right. Um, or from like the flip side, you have like a band like Oasis where literally, you know, the singer's just behind the mic stand and his hands are behind his back and that's where he's going to be all night. Yeah. And if you're Oasis, you can totally pull that off. Well, it's because you're Oasis. Right. If you're not Oasis, odds are slim. If your last name is not Gallagher. Anything but Gallagher, you're not going to be able to pull that off. You're going to have to move around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also on the flip side of that, there have definitely been shows like I remember when, you know, when I was first getting started or, or, you know, getting the chance to play big stages with my original band as we were coming up, you can use a stage too much. Mm -hmm. You kind of get drunk on the idea of, oh, I've got a wireless unit and there's nothing tying me down uh, for this section. I'm just going to run around. And and And, unless your last name is Lee Roth, mm -hmm. (laughs) that's awfully hard to make work too. Yeah. So you've got to find the balance of that. And and the main thing, the analogy that, that uh, our, our manager gave us when that happened was, I was like, he said, it looked like a peewee football game up there. Which, <laughs> That's great. Which basically meant that when somebody moved, we all moved kind of over where they were. Yeah. So there was just this big blob of, of energy on the stage and it just kept morphed its way across. Yeah. And that's one of those things <laughs> that just, it looks ridiculous. Yeah. My, my soccer coach used to call that beehive formation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, that's exactly what it feels like. Or, or yeah, it's yeah. like, like five-year-old soccer teams. Exactly. So one thing that works is for people to have staked out t- territories. Yes. That is one thing that works is to have domains on the space, on the stage that belong to different people. And that does not mean you're stuck there. You can visit other people. It's cool to drop in uninvited even. Absolutely. Have a moment like, you know, back to back, you play the solo together, whatever, make, make it a moment mm-hmm. and then go home. And that is, I am helped by that, by the fact that I got these pedals in front of me that I, you know, I play guitar. So it's all hands are only part of it. There's also feet happening. Yeah. I mean, as a sideman, you do kind of have at least moments in the, in the night where you are planted. But that doesn't mean that you can't be compelling standing in place. So what kind of things do you would you what tips do you have for a guitar player who's basically got a spot, maybe a mic to sing into? Mm-mm. What would you do physically to make yourself interesting? So if I was stationary, more or less, there are things that I can do. I can I can, you know, assume a power pose, uh, you know, power pose one through 20, which you can use to draw attention. Uh, you can, you know, for me. I was I was one of those guys that was like big eyes. Every chord is a magic trick that I am amazed by, and you should be amazed <laughs> as well. And then also like you know sp- you can do you know those '80s guitar spins, not necessarily the guitar spinning over you, but you can definitely do that. Um, or just like just do a turn or or something. Or you could just kind of keep the beat, you know, with your foot. You know, there are things that you can do in place that draw focus that don't pull focus. And I think that's, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. You want to let the focus be wherever it is, the front person or the, the soloist if somebody's playing a lead or something, but you also can't be a dead spot on stage. Right. One thing that, um, that I like to do 
I will set my mic a little bit low. So it's pointed kind of at my neck Mm -hmm. as a reminder to not stand with my feet right together. I will spread my feet out and kind of take a wide stance over my space and, you know, thereby lowering my mouth to my mic. Um, and I, I, you know, like the, it's like the, the Hamilton logo, right? Like the Mm -hmm. guy with his legs kind of out and standing up. So just gives you a wider, first of all, it's very stable. You have a wide base, but then you can, you can dance in that position without really moving. You can keep the beat with your body and you're taking up space. You look interesting. And, uh, and I find that really works. The other thing is a lot of times people, guitarists are who I'm talking about will hold their guitar in one position in one place for the whole night. And I heard an analogy that was like, imagine you have a laser shooting at the top of your guitar and you want to not burn any holes in the ceiling. So you got to keep that thing moving. If you leave it in one place too long, it's going to burn a hole right through the ceiling and the venue will kick you out. But if you keep moving, keep that thing moving around. So it's not pointing one place any too long. Mm -hmm. You will, you will be, you know, you'll be fine. No holes in the ceiling and you'll look very interesting. You'll be moving. Yeah. What I, what I like to do is, um, is I, I I have a, I have a straight stand, even as a guitar player, I always liked having a straight stand just because I, I feel like it gave, gave me versatility is I put it at standing height. That's comfortable, but I would do the, um, I would do the thing where you just point the mic downward, kind of in yeah. that punk kind of Lemmy style. Lemmy, that, yeah. that kind of, you know, informs your, your stance or your posturing. Um, yeah. So you can still, you know, you can, you can have some, some depth to what you're doing, but you're not moving the, the stand too much. Yeah. The other thing is when you're not singing, step away from the mic, step back a little bit, step to the side. Don't be, don't let the mic or the mic stand be a block between you and the audience. You want a clear line of sight between the audience and you. Yeah. So step up to it, sing your lines, step back away, take a breath, dance around a little bit. Even if you're singing lead, there's, there's time in a song for you to do that. Yeah. And it looks way more interesting and it keeps a a barrier out of the way between you and the audience. Well, the example I can that immediately popped into my mind is ACDC. Hmm. So you want to talk about a, a band that has their craft down to a science. Yeah. Um, if, if you look at the classic deal, so you've got Brian Johnson out front or, you know, bond, depending on the, the era uh, you've got Angus just chewing up the scenery Yeah, all over the place. And then you've got, you know, you've got the rhythm section, literally, you know, Malcolm and the bass player standing right in front of their rigs and their mics are probably four paces in front of them. Mm-hmm. And so they're back there and they're doing their thing and their gang vocals are coming up and they both in unison walk up to the mic stands, they sing their parts and then they immediately walk back to their position right in front of their rigs. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's efficient and regimented and it's perfect. Yeah. And it takes practice. It does. You know, it's, um, we all feel stupid watching ourselves perform on video, but man, there's just no other way. There's just no other way. You got to see how you really behave in the real situation. Gig video is the best learning tool, hands down. You got to do it. You just got to do it. And if you have the means of doing it, you know, setting up a mirror in your rehearsal space so you can that's see what you guys also good. look like. Yeah. Also good. I find that that's good for practicing what I what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I got to remember to hold this posture. Or, you know, see, seeing myself do that is useful. I don't tend to catch myself in mistakes in that mirror nearly like I do watching video of gigs. Yeah. So I really strongly recommend that. Yeah. And again, this, this is a, a strange topic to discuss for, for some people, but the way you want to think about these things is you're trying to create moments that draw focus during your show. Uh, we're not necessarily talking about choreography, you know, 
most of the guys although we could be we, oh absolutely like you know you you can look at the hooligans bruno mars's band and you want to talk about a band that's just locked in mm-hmm. it, incredible i always give props to jamari otis uh who's his bass player because he's one of the few guys in the front line uh that's really really working the entire time that's not like a horn player that's doing the choreography with the rest of the guys so he is playing just sick bass licks and he's doing all of the moves it's it's one thing to see you know one of the backup guys or, or a trombone player do that kind of stuff. He's playing, you know, every couple of bars, whereas like, you know, the bass player is just laying it down the entire time. And man, if you can, if, if your band can, can put a, a show together like that, man, you've written your, you've written your own check. Um, for the, for the rest of us, you know, we're just looking for fun moments to kind of do things in unison. And most of the time they just kind of come up organically and, you know, you might make a, a mental note and say, Hey, we should do that again. The one that I keep, the one that hmm. pops to mind is, um, we do hungry like the wolf by Duran Duran. And one night, you know, during the chorus where there, there are those, that the symbol hits in between the phrases where it's like mm-hmm. sent like a sound. <clears throat> yep. One of the guys, it may have been our female singer just did like a step kick. Hmm. And I remember, thinking oh that's really cool and the cool thing about that song is that it happens like five to twelve times right right so the second time goes by and she does it and i do it and then the next time it comes it it comes by the bass player does it and by the end of the night you know by the end of the song we're all doing it in unison and we've done it in unison ever since because it's just one of those moments that looks cool um and then the audience you know when you have repeat you know, customers, they, you know, they, they do it too. It's just kind of one of those fun interactive moments. Yeah. Um, and if you're, if you're curious about, you know, what you could do, look, go on YouTube. Oh yeah. Find what other bands are doing. They're so like, we definitely tried to see what like bands like the spasmatics were doing because they've got some, some cool kind of choreographed moments and we didn't use a lot of them, but it was just nice to see, Oh, well, here's something that we could do just useful stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, our show is very interactive and very high energy. Um, doesn't tend to be choreographed, does tend to be way out in the crowd because we, mm-hmm. um, my co-front man, Justin and I, um, are wireless, both mics and guitars. Um, and, oh, we got to come back to this. Keytar. Yep. We'll get there. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm buying one oh, in the near future. Oh man. For sure. Oh man. Um, so we'll, we'll get back to that, uh, in just a yep. minute. Um, so we're out dancing with people all the time. We're out, you know, dancing and partying, singing, having them sing into the mic with us and like that. Mm-hmm. Almost every show, Justin gets up on the bar. Yep. And um, I've yet to have a bar owner have a problem with that. I I have a plan for how to deal with it if they do. Uh, but so far, the, no one's had a problem with it. In fact, you know, bar owners have, uh, you know, said, man, I love your energy pretty much universally. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a time in the evening where getting up on the bar is perfectly acceptable. Um, yeah. And we've got a couple of venues where the, the bar is literally next to the stage where like your huh. one foot is on the stage, the other one is on the bar. So it's, it's perfect to do. Now, That's good. for us, we have taken a stay out of the crowd stance. Okay. Um, the reason being is that when you're on stage, everybody is looking at you. When you get off stage, the only people who can see you are the people who are in front of you. So it can be disorienting for, for the audience to not know where you are. And it can be fun, you know, if it's, if it's one of those things, you know, you guys say that you like being on the floor. It can be useful to, you know, just kind of walk out into the, the, in, 
the few brave souls who are, you know, who came out onto the dance floor first, yeah. you know, take yeah. a few steps out, uh, kind of mingle and mix with them and then kind of work your way back. Um, but if, if we're on a stage, we try to stay on the stage. Yeah. I, I guess I'd say we probably do too. It's part of why we like being on the floor is because it, it gives us that freedom. Sure. But, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of the time, if we are on a stage, we'll probably stay put, yeah. you know, especially if it's more than a few inches, you know, if it's like just a platform, who knows, but yeah. like a real stage. Yeah. We, we probably, we probably wouldn't come down from that. I tend not to go up on the bar because I'm old and I'm afraid I'll break myself when I jump down. That's also, that's a good reason. I would totally do it, but, uh, I am worried about my, um, about not getting back up again. Very, so very fair. Very fair. There's that. Another thing we probably want to talk about is, is weight stage weight. Yeah. And that's not necessarily your physique though. Um, I have been reminded, uh, as I hadn't played in a month getting back in my show clothes, I probably need to, uh, work on my <laughs> stage weight. What I mean by that is, uh, the amount of it, it's, it's kind of moving back to that first analogy about the, the peewee football. Um, you want to make sure that your stage is balanced. Mm-hmm. Think of your stage as like a four cornered platform on a ball. If you move too many things to one side, the stage tips. And and it's, it's one of those things that's also, it's, it's not just left and right. It's also forward and backward. So one of the things that you, you do want to consider when you start implementing this kind of stuff is that your stage is balanced. So if, you know, in, in our case, we have, you know, we have an upstage and a downstage and we have four front positions. And when I say upstage and downstage, um, you hear terms like stage right and stage left. Upstage and downstage refer to the forward and backward positions uh, on the stage. So you're 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 dealing with not only you know left and right, but also kind of forward and backward lateral movement. Yeah, imagine the stage slopes down to the audience. Upstage yeah. upstage is the back of the stage. Absolutely. In our situation, when a person moves from one of the four front positions, another person needs to take their place. And if somebody is doing something that is the focus of the attention, so it's either a, you know, it's one of the lead vocalists or it's a guitar solo, your other players are going to move upstage and potentially interact with one another kind of in their own way to, to keep things interesting, but not to pull attention from the focus. So in our situation, that might look like uh, the guitar player goes from stage right to uh, center stage to do his solo. And I'm going to move back and play the the rhythm part and kind of do a thing with the bass player because we're both basically playing the same thing. Or maybe if I'm not playing guitar, I am interacting with the other uh, female vocalist just to kind of have a moment there. And then when the guitar player finishes the solo, he's going to go back to his stage right position and we kind of go back to our standard balanced layout. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, I, as, as you're saying that I can sort of hear listeners thinking to themselves, you know, it's choreography, it's all this business. It's just not my band. And it doesn't have to be, it actually totally doesn't have to be, but even things like keeping your stage appearance, even, you know, horizontally and front to back makes such a difference in how the audience perceives you, the togetherness of things. You know, it really is true that we listen to a band in part with our eyes mm-hmm. and how your organized and the, the discipline you bring to what people see on stage makes such a huge difference. Well, and here's the other thing is that that whole moment that I just explained, it took me, you know, it took me almost a minute to explain it. All of that stuff is happening 
instantaneously right. without any communication whatsoever. Right. It's just one of those things that we have become accustomed to. And it's, you know, so if, if I'm at the mic and I see the guitar player moving, I'm just going to instinctually move. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's just one of those things that once it becomes second nature, there, there isn't a discussion. And if there's a discussion, it's just like, Hey, make sure the stage is balanced. And that's it. That's all you got to do. It's one of those things that once it's, once it's kind of baked in, you know, it just happens and it, it, and it, it happens very organically and it doesn't feel contrived. It doesn't feel choreographed. It's just, Oh, there's a hole that somebody needs to fill. I'm the closest person. I'll fill it. Yep. So yeah. Yep. Stagecraft. Stagecraft. Now listen, there's this whole other piece of stagecraft that is about making a show. Showy? Showy, yeah. So let me just say a little about this gig that we're, we got going on weekend after next, mm-hmm. April 21st. Um, it's at, so the big theater in downtown Greensboro, the, 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 the Carolina theater has a black box theater and it's upstairs. You kind of come in a back entrance and go up an escalator and black box theater called the crown theater. And we were asked to open, uh, actually put, put a show together with uh, a band called Viva La Muerte, which is a local, um, they do about half original, well, probably a little more than half originals, very much dead inspired um, Viva La Muerte, long live the dead. Right. Jam band Americana stuff. They're they're a lot of fun, and and um, I'm good friends with those guys. I've I subbed on bass with them a couple of times, and so we're opening for them. We're going to do an hour, and then they'll do like 90 minutes, and then we'll come back and do a couple together. And we have designed it as a Halloween in April show, so it's a costume party, and people are like really excited about doing a costume party just for no good reason on April 21st. We have planned. Some kind of crazy stuff. So we are building a 10 foot tall Abe Lincoln puppet. Um, there's going to be, you know, the puppet version of our Abe logo, our clanky animatronic you know, dancing guy um, out of PVC pipe and a backpack frame. And um, uh, my wife who has some experience in giant puppetry is going to be piloting Abe and out dancing, you know, you come down and dance with Abe. There is a friend of ours, a friend of hers actually from work who has built from scratch a full-scale remote control r2d2 nice who's going to be dancing around the show it will be the debut of our keytar which i've owned for a little while but not really worked into the show um the way i've set the built you know built the set list about the first half of the show i'll be on keytar and then i'll switch over to to guitar mm-hmm. um we're gonna do a couple of um brand new songs great 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 new things um we're going to do Don't Stop Believing as a sing-along. And our costumes, we're doing the Blues Brothers. Nice. So we're opening with um, Everybody Needs Somebody to Love. And, you know, there's just like a lot of big planning happening around this gig. And it's um, it's exciting. It's exciting in the way a bar gig just isn't. Um, and we're not going to get paid worth beans for it. I mean, sure. <laughs> if we get 100 bucks to split between the four of us, that'll be amazing. But it's going to be a heck of a show. And, and it's not just... You know, I, I I see very few bands taking the opportunity to make something really showy and theatrical and great like that. Especially yeah. just, you know, we're a four piece cover band. We don't nobody does that, right? But here we are, we're we're gonna make that happen. And um who knows? Abe may turn up at bars. I d I don't even know. Maybe. If they have high enough ceilings. Yeah. Um but you know, it's it's um it's a kind of thinking I don't see a lot of, and I and I I really encourage people to just get creative with that sort of thing, even in a normal little bar gig, you know, at a club or whatever. Something theatrical, something extra that that makes it memorable for people, that makes your your name stick, that makes it you know 
just some wow moment. I'm telling you, when we get done with the Blues Brothers shtick and kind of whip our hats off across the room and start into, um, I don't even know what, Season of the Witch, maybe, which I'll be doing on this gorgeous organ sound on the guitar. Mm -hmm. And Abe comes strutting out. It's going to be, I mean, jaws are going to drop. It's going to really be something. I I think it's worth swinging for the fences from time to time. Yeah. Uh, yes. Even if it is just for a one-off or that kind of thing. And in Atlanta, there, there's a lot of that. There'll be a, a band will, will, will book a one-off show and do an album cover to cover, or they'll pick mm-hmm. a theme or something like that. That's pretty common here. You know, there'll be, I, I know coming on uh, Bowie's birthday, there's going to be a bunch of Bowie tributes going on. Mm, um, that's good. And it's, it's cool because, you know, it, it gives musicians like me, uh, an opportunity to you know play the music we love and, and collaborate with other musicians we don't normally get to. But you you make a you make a valid point, and and we're trying to do something like that in June. We have decided that we're going to do an '80s '90s dance party. Nice. So we're you know we've already got you know a ton of '80s under our belt. Um, we're gonna come up with a set of '90s songs that kind of fit in the kind of upbeat dance pop kind of wheelhouse that we're in. And mm-hmm. um, I've already built all the artwork around it and we've started the advertisement for it. We're calling it Fanny Pack Friday. <laughs> and, um, you know, people will dress up and it'll be, it'll be a whole thing. Um, yeah. And I'm definitely nervous about it because it's a ticketed event and, you know, it's our name on the line and it's, it's up to us to kind of build the hype and, and, and get people in the venue. But um, yeah, it's something that I've been thinking about forever and I just, I was ready to pull the trigger. So I, just, I set the date and I was like, we got to do it. And you know, for us, the benefit, and, and it's the same with you guys, you can, you can use that, you can use that Lincoln, you know, puppet over and over again. Oh yeah. And for us, if we go to the trouble of learning, you know, 40 nineties, uh, songs, we can now do a full nineties night. Mm-hmm. And that opens us up to a completely, you know, separate market than what we've been, marketing to. So that's a huge deal for us, uh, to, to open up, um, more prospective customers. God smells like members only. And maybe, you know, at some point, if it, if it does take off, we'll probably spin it off, change the name and, um, it'll just be another, another project under the umbrella of the bands that I've, you know, been running talking about production value and that kind of stuff. We've, we've been pretty big on that since the beginning we had, I work for a church and they did a, they did a series called members only. Part of it was they did this really neat title package that I took and, and used as our, uh, our bumper, uh, for our promo videos for a long time. And they also made, they had a photo booth set up where they had these big giant wooden Rubik's cubes hmm. and a laser backdrop. And, um, I was like, does anybody want these? They're like, no, we were going to, we were going to break them down and throw them out. I was like, do not do that. So <laughs> I took them, and we use them on stage for, um, now we put them where the, the amps used to be. So instead of there being, so now there's two giant Rubik's cubes in the back and then there's one smaller one in the front that splits stage center. Nice. So if, you know, the, one of us is singing a, a pivotal part of a song, we can step up on it. Uh, it's a bit of an ego riser kind of deal sure. or put your foot up on it or something like that. Um, another thing that we are, we're currently in the, des- the design phase for is uh, stage scrims. So, you know, rolling into a, into a venue with a, a big banner behind the drum kit and uh, smaller banners that we can use, uh, again, where the amps would be, um, or uh, use them as a backdrop for, a, for like a selfie station. Uh, you know, we're, we're looking for versatility and, you know, things that we can use those things for uh, just to make it worth the, you know, the money that we're putting into it. 
Sure. And, you know, it's not a lot of money to be honest, all things considered it, you know, it, it dramatically increases the production value, uh, more than, you know, like a light bar would, uh, it immediately looks super professional and it's, it's about as much as a Chauvet four bar is going to cost you. So, mm-hmm. um, it's always worth, you know, doing the research and seeing what, uh, what's out there and uh, what you can add to your show to make it better. Yeah. A few of the places we play would have that kind of, you know, stage width mm-hmm. for that sort of thing. We have, um, you know, I bought a three by six vinyl banner that did fine, but every show it was like, how are we going to hang this? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. somebody give me the thumbtacks. It was like getting it hung was a, a whole thing. So I bought this pl- black, um, PVC sort of hanger deal. Mm-hmm. And that was fine, except the, that was cumbersome to build and kind of flimsy. And then if, when you got it set up and the banner on it, if you're playing outside, it was basically a sale and yep. it was going to get blown over. What we opted for was an eight by eight collapsible frame. So the whole thing is like self-contained and yeah. it, it holds up. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Well, it's and good. you're going to be doing fabric. So it's lighter. Won't have the same sale qualities as, as vinyl quite as much. We'll through it. I'll tell you what we ended up with was a retractable, it's like a standing banner. That's tall. It's mm-hmm. like eight feet tall. Like the ones by, you use at trade shows. Exactly. That's exactly the kind of use of trade shows. And I'm seeing those all over the place. I mean, mm-hmm. those are Us too. just all over the place and it is awesome. I mean, it's set up in 30 seconds. It retracts into itself. It's got a little carrying case. Mm-hmm. It was not expensive. Uh, and that, when we're set up in the corner of a bar, that's all the room we got. It's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect for us. And that's what the side, the side ones are going to be for four by six collapsible. Oh, yeah. Um, Good. Deals like that. Yeah, so perfect. easy to transport, you know, perfect high production value. For those, that's all we're looking for, man. For those times that you find yourself in the corner of the bar, like the clanky Lincolns. Absolutely. It's all good, man. This is a good conversation. This is a good conversation. Um, I feel pretty good about it. I think, I think we're at a good stopping point. So, um, I'll go ahead and call it. Listen, I'll tell you what, if anybody listening has, uh, your ideas or feedback about stagecraft or physicality on stage or stage, you know, marketing materials, hit us up. Email us Absolutely. your thoughts. Email us at coverbandconfidential at gmail.com. Um, we are also on Twitter, uh, and I can't, it's like coverbandconf. The, <laughs> I couldn't come up with a, it wasn't the right number of letters. It, it was yeah. too long. Um, and also find us on Facebook under the Coverband Confidential uh, Facebook group. Uh, and soon uh, I will be uploading these uh, podcast episodes to a YouTube channel, <laughs> which will allow us the opportunity to do some video content as well. Looking for that in the coming weeks. And uh, yeah, man, we'd love to hear from you. From Atlanta, Georgia, this is Adam Johnson. Greensboro, North Carolina, Dan Ray. This has been the Cover Band Confidential Podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.